they asked me a couple of questions over the phone to like pass some baseline. And then I did an interview online, like with someone watching me and ask, asking me questions. And I typed into like a shared notepad thing past that, went to their headquarters and did a series of interviews all in one day. And I think that I kind of just ruined myself in the very first one where they were asking me kind of like what Amelia was saying, like some very specific CSS questions that are not really like what I need to know to write CSS. They're like this. And I was like, well, I'd probably just Google, (laughs) Google, uh, can I use and see, you know, things like that. And then they were like, how would you make all of these divs the same height? across everything. And I'm like, I know it would be Flexbox, but I would need to pull up the CSS Tricks Flexbox guide to tell you exactly which one, because why would I need to memorize that? And uh, I don't have that when I'm at a whiteboard. So that was not fun. Mm. (laughs) Hey friends, this episode is brought to you by Sentry and their upcoming developer experience conference called Dex. Sort the madness. Deploying new code can be a lot like making a really great sandwich, taking a bite, and having all the contents fall out. It's exciting, it's chaotic, and it's maddening. If you know the feeling, then Dex by Sentry might just be for you. This is a free conference by developers for developers. We will sort through the madness and look for ways to improve workflow productivity. Join Sentry for this event in San Francisco or virtually on September 28th and discover new ways to make your life a little easier. Save your seat now for this event at bit.ly slash dex2022. Again, bit.ly slash dex2022. This link is in the show notes. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Subscribe to the pod. If you haven't already, head to jsparty.fm for all the ways. And if you dig the show, please do tell a friend or a colleague. That'd be pretty cool. Special thanks to our partners at Fastly for shipping all of our pods super fast to wherever you listen. Check them out at fastly.com. And to our friends at fly.io. Post your app service close to your users. No ops required. Learn more at fly.io. Okay, hey, it's party time, y'all. Hello, JS Party listeners. We are excited to be talking about a hot topic today. I am joined by my lovely co-panelists, Amelia Wattenberger. Hello. Hey, hey. And Nick Nisi, the one and only legendary. I'm excited for all the quotable things that you're going to say in this show, Nick. Oh, no. All the like (laughs) smart one-liners, you know, it's like Amelia and Amel take like 95% of the show. You know, the outro intro takes another two, three percent and like one percent is left for Nick Nisi, one and a half or something. (laughs) I'm sure everything will haunt me at future tech interviews. No, no. And that one percent is going to be gold. It's going to be the reason why you listen to the whole show. It's going because Nick said that one thing. Anyways, so Nick, <laughs> Amelia, welcome. It's been a hot minute since I've been on a show with both of you. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. And what we're going to be talking about today is the bane of all of our <laughs> existence. Like, it's the thing that we fear. It's the thing that we somehow continue to keep 
subjecting ourselves to. It's the unfair standard we've set, the standard that you were never consulted on. Neither was I, by the way. I just never in any committee of software engineers that said, this is a good idea. Like, let's do this. Like, everybody thinks it's a bad idea. Are you talking about JavaScript? Oh, no, no. I'm talking about <laughs> tech interviews. So that's the topic. We are going to be talking about the good, the bad, the ugly. We're going to share our thoughts on why they're bad. And we're going to talk about our experiences, which are very varied on this panel. And then also what we think we can do to make it better. Like what would a perfect world look like? So we have three kind of packed segments. So without further ado, let's get into it, y'all. What sucks? Why they broken? Please explain in little English, please. Like little person English. Why is it bad? <laughs> I can start by saying my experience with interviews, which is probably not the same experience as most people in the tech space. So I'm coming from, I've done two or three interviews in the past six years, and they were for startups or agencies, or one was at GitHub where I am now. So I can talk about what was good or bad there. Or I've also heard a lot about like horror stories of people who are interviewing, but that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Nick? What are you coming from? I am coming from only really having gone through one interview since 2013, but I've been on the other side interviewing folks for a while. Not recently, I guess, but yeah, that's kind of a different perspective, I guess. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it, maybe it would be also helpful to set the tone for the audience just so we're not making any assumptions. What would you say is a tech interview yeah. and what does it typically look like from company to company? Can you both kind of just give us a very broad strokes on that? Yeah. Yeah. So since we're on the JS party podcast, I guess I assumed that we were going to talk about any interview that a developer takes to get a job where they write code. You got it. Which is pretty broad. Pretty broad. And then that's <laughs> anywhere from, you know, startups to like big companies or Fang. Fang is its own like hazing process. It's its own like fraternity of terror, you know? <laughs> but, but anyways, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is where I keep hearing these uh, horror stories from. Because for me, like, I've never had to do like a leak code interview. Like, I remember my first interview ever. I had to... And you work at GitHub, right? It's like, hey, hey. It was really nice, that interview process. Mm -hmm. You can make it and work at great companies and avoid this depending on the company that you select and the role that you're in. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Nick, is that kind of what you were thinking for tech interviews or where'd your head go? Yeah. There's a lot of pieces to an interview, right? And I feel like I've probably had more interviews. I have had more interviews than, than just the one, but I've had much less focus on specifically like like you said like leak code things or whiteboarding code and all of that and so there's like the like when we break it up when we're actually doing interviews we're, we're trying to break it up between like do you work as advertised meaning like do you know enough that you're advertising to you know succeed at this job but also like a team fit would you fit in with this team general questions around that so i think that there's kind of like a a split between those two. Yeah. Probably, right? That's a good point. Yeah, there is the actual tech. So I think there's like umbrella tech interview and the tech interview overall is 
the steps and hoops that we need to jump through. That is not limited typically to just your technical skills. There's a cultural mm -hmm. portion, business fit portion, depending on your level, a leadership portion, depending on your role, a writing portion, right? There's a whole bunch of portions. And so even like a portfolio review could be part of your mm -hmm. job interview process, you know, it's like a whole bunch of portions. It's kind of like, I'd consider it like a family of Lego blocks in which are like, they can be can put together in any combination and permutation. And then it's like N number of complexity in terms of like the ceiling, right? Like they, they, these interviews can be as complex as possible. They can be as lo-fi as possible. They can be really complex in some areas and like easy peasy, like in other areas, you know, and also like your own skills and your own experience, like brings its own like layer and color to that. Right. Because you yourself have your own strengths and weaknesses and like you have your own kryptonites, you know, yeah. it's kind of a really stressful, but like humbling experience. I think for me, I'm being on, on both sides of that as an interviewer and as an interviewee, like it's very interesting. So now that we've defined it, can you kind of share your thoughts on what do we think is kind of the smell here that is the reason why everyone kind of clenches a little every time they think about interviewing people like stay in jobs and don't quit because they're like, well, I don't have the emotional or mental energy or bandwidth to like study or capacity to like prep and do all the stuff that I need to do. So I'm going to just stay and prolong my misery here. <laughs> right. Like, and then we're doing this to experienced engineers, you know, we're doing this to parents. We're doing this to um, people who have a full life outside of work. And that sucks, right? So just it sucks that that burden is usually mm -hmm. something that you have to bear, and even bearing the burden is a privilege, you know? Yeah, I think you're touching on something there in that the interview process, depending on if, if it's done like that, where it's really going to be that you know clenching. I'm so scared for this, and so I'm just not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Feeling, in my opinion, it doesn't reflect on you as a as a competent future employer, prospective employee. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like the people who excel at that, like all the power to them, but that's, I think a skill that is different than actually getting work done and being part of a team, being a, a good part of a team. And that kind of interview process just doesn't make that part shine through at all. Yeah. And so it's, you're not really testing for what you really want. And that is a, a good thing to be aware of because on the, the job seeker perspective, you can weed those out. I think to play uh, devil's advocate a little, I think the, the like tension is going to be at smaller companies, you get a handful of applicants and you can talk to them personally and you can spend an hour with each one. But then as you get to larger companies, like Google has hundreds of applicants for each role. And then like, how do you scale up something where like, you can bring the humanity to a dev interview versus like you can't do an hour for hundreds of people. That's just going to take more time than the entire application process. So like, yeah, I guess that's what scares me about applying for jobs at bigger companies. Cause I've mostly worked at startups is like, you don't know until you're in the process, like whether it's going to be a good process or a bad process. So like, even applying for jobs or even like being invited to apply for jobs. Like it's a scary, scary thing. It's always a scary proposition. Yeah. It's always like, you never know what to expect on the other side. And there's no guarantee that 
if every single person has a great experience, you're going to either like you could just also be the one woman of color candidate that's interviewed for the role and you're getting some bias like thrown your way because of it and therefore getting harder, more curveball, like less room for error. Like you have to everybody else can pass at this standard, but you have to pass at this other standard, like the invisible standard that we set for people that are different. It real talk like there's a lot of things at play here, including like how old you look. That's been coming up with a few of my friends lately where people are feeling, or people in my circle, you know, oh, I got to dye my hair before this job interview and I got to make sure I look good on camera because I don't want to get discriminated against because of looking older or, you know, I was like, what the hell? Like, what planet are we living in? You are worth your weight in gold as an experienced software engineer. And do not let anyone ever tell you otherwise. To be very clear, if you have managed to keep up with your skills and stay in this industry for 10 plus years, 15 plus years, 20 plus years, however many plus years, or, you know, even if you've joined later in life and you, you know, you're older, you still bring a lot of soft skills to the table. And that's super important for teams. <laughs> we need that diversity and so many layers. Age is just one of them, you know, it's an important one. Right. And part of the, I think, cultural problems that we have that are systemic to us actually start with, I think, our interview process being so self-selecting. Like for me, like our interview process is catering to young white dudes that are straight out of comp sci programs, like period, and who prefer like maybe have no life outside of being able to practice mindlessly on these silly algorithm questions, brain teaser questions. And that's just not realistic for most people who have a job, a life, you know, who've been out of school for a number of years, who are working across the stack on different types of problems, you know, like, I don't think a someone that's working on design systems or someone that's working on CSS and HTML or someone who's right. Like they're solving equally complex problems, just different parts of the spectrum. This design systems engineer isn't going to be thinking about algorithmic complexity. That's not their job. That's like, again, it's also catering more to backend, right? Like really um, backend heavy distributed data heavy architectures, right? So that's another way I think it's like, how are you asking everyone to rise to the same bar? <laughs> like makes no sense. Anyways, that was like my first rant. This won't be the last. Um, I'm curious to hear from you, Nick and Amelia. I'd love to hear. Um, and this is also interesting to think about because my parents were both programmers, like, you know, back in the day, like my dad taught himself. My mom has a comp sci degree. Yeah. They have like business degrees, but my dad like taught himself oh, very cool. Fortran from a book, nice. right? Like not on a computer, which is like, <laughs> this is not my experience at all. <laughs> I feel like my job is so much easier than that. Right. But like seeing them being discriminated against as they got older. And I feel like there's a lot of initiatives these days. So like, do y'all think that things are getting better for like being more fair for diverse hires or um, as people who are out there or running interview processes, like what are things that have been done recently and are they working? I hope so. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that everything kind of being more remote first in terms of maybe just the interview process or at least the interview process that opens doors up a lot. Yeah. My first interview for a a remote only job was on Skype in 
2013 and it was very, very different time, but no one turned on their video and there was no expectation of, of ever being on video, which is very different than today. But it was easier to jump into that and just kind of get on a call and talk. Yeah. So you're advocating for video-less interviews. Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, that's interesting. That's a hot take. I think what's gotten better is our acknowledgement of the problem, but I don't think anyone, I think people, okay, like I've been at companies where they've tried to offer different types of interviews, like they give the candidate a few different options, which I think is great. I've seen companies like give people take-home options, right? I've seen people also like give people take-home options that are paid gigs. Like they're like, we're going to pay you to do your interview actually, because we acknowledge that this is time and, you know, there's definitely ways I feel like people try their best, but the reality is like, you know, interviewing is a skill and even the best of interviews can be gamed to some degree. Right. And so mm -hmm. you never really know what you're getting with the candidate until they land anyway. Right. And even then, like if a candidate isn't happy or they hate their job, like they're not like, I don't, they're not even going to be performing well. Right. So you do need to like give it like, you know, six to eight months, ideally a year for an engineer to really adequately judge them. And should we be focusing more on cultural fits and, you know, should we have more of like an institutional thing as an industry that's like, yeah, like in your first three months, like you can leave or they can like let you go without any feelings hurt. Uh, yeah, but that means the cost of that, though, is you can bypass having to do technical interviews and based on your experience, like your recent experience, your portfolio, whatever, like your ability to have stayed employed as a software engineer for a number of years, we're going to trust that you know how to do this very similar job. Because if there's such a hiring crisis, like it's just like <laughs> you have to learn everything for your job at your job anyway, even if the stacks are 100% the same, the business logic is never 100% the same. The don't, like every company has its own snowflake in terms of software. So you're still, everyone has to, go through that same thing where they're learning everything anyway. So yeah. just putting it out there. I like that as an idea. I really like that. Don't stress about the interview. Just come work and we'll pay you. And, you know, it's kind of a, a trial run. Trial by fire. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking kind of along the similar, similar vein with that would be the tooling now has gotten so much easier to kind of help facilitate and make things as easy as possible, or at least help to focus things as much as possible. Because I know that like past tech interview or like tech projects that I've done as part of the interview process, whether it was live or, you know, a take home project or anything like that, like a significant portion of that is like set up with some kind of stack and get going. And tools have gotten a lot easier. Specifically, I'm thinking of things like uh, GitHub code spaces, where like as part of that, they could hand you a completely fleshed out environment and then you go from there and you don't have to worry about the startup or anything like that. You've got an environment, you've got tests running, like a, a way to run the tests right away, things like that, which is really nice. Hot damn, bring me that future. That sounds amazing. So we're going to get into so much in the next couple of segments. So we're going to take a quick break, but we're excited to kind of come back and share our personal experiences um, I have some fun stories to tell without dishing too much dirt. And so during the break, we're going to have to come up with our secret pack for like, how do we, you know, not like accidentally give out employer names. <laughs> Anyways, we're also going to talk about like more of the future and like what we want to fix. So, um, so stay tuned for all this and more. Be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by our friends at Vercel, the platform that enables front-end teams to do their best work. Vercel combines the best developer experience with an obsessive focus on end-user performance. And I'm here with Jared Palmer, head of open source at Vercel and the creator of Turbo Repo. Now, Jared, obviously Turbo makes things faster and Vercel is all about making the web faster, but how does that translate to a better experience for developers when building and shipping? So fast wins. Fast is so important to us at Vercel. And the ROI on Turbo is pretty remarkable, both in monetary terms and in developer happiness. So let's just talk ROI and money in monetary terms here. And I'm not going to use our calculator for this. I'll just use Gradle, which is another build system in the Java ecosystem. Using their calculator for a 75-person engineering team with around 10-minute builds. And let's just say that Turbo, they're able to effectively use Turbo to cut their build by like roughly 50 to 85%. And let's use Gradle's sort of idea that around 20% of CI builds are blocking, meaning they can't. a developer can't actually work. They have to wait for the CI to finish. In tandem, both local and CI builds collectively will save that enterprise, that 75-person engineering team, with let's just say an average cost per developer of like $185,000 a year, roughly a million dollars a year. And that's just on CI time alone. Now, what that doesn't account for in any way, shape, or form is the fact you're going to feel about your work, your code base, what you're working on when you have a one minute build or a 30 second build or a two minute build versus a 10 minute build. In the 10 minute build situation, you're gonna go get a cup of coffee, you're gonna check Twitter, you're gonna browse TikTok. One minute build situation, you can really stay in the flow. And so that's why it is so essential for us to invest in Turbo to make sure that we keep builds as fast as they were on day one of your project as they are currently on, let's say, like day 500. And that's where we're seeing immense adoption in the enterprise space, but also through solo developers. And if you go to TurboRepo.org, you can see uh, this wonderful list of enterprises that have adopted Turbo. And we'll be sharing some stories in the not so distant future and some case studies as well uh, on our website talking about their journey with Turbo. I love it. Fast is always better. Fast wins. Learn more at Vercel.com. Again, Vercel.com. So what is it like interviewing and being an interviewer? I think we want to dig into that and kind of dig into more personal anecdotes about what that is. But as Amel said, not, <laughs> not throwing... We throw shade, but we, we're not in a direction which you can see, you know? We'll be like... Trying not to get on any no-hire lists in the future. Yes, indeed. That, <laughs> definitely that. So how do we stay out of that no-hire zone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can talk about my first interview, which was like a decade ago, but this is the closest to leak coding that I've done, mm. which maybe tracks with other people because when you're just entering, they really want to know, like, do you know anything? Like you haven't had a coding job before. So it was actually really weird. I was working in a research lab at the time and I mm -hmm. did an internship and I was going to go with that company. But then I was like, why don't I do one interview at one place? And then... They would ask me to come into the office. I would go into the office. We'd just kind of talk for an hour and then I'd leave. And this would happen like every other week. <laughs> I was like, each time I was like, oh, it's probably, I haven't heard from them. So it's probably not going to go anywhere. 
And then one of the last interviews was like, they had this app that they used and they were like, you have to log on and then it'll ask you questions, like a quiz type thing, but it's timed. And the quiz questions were like, what you do at the DMV, but worse. They were like, did this CSS property come out in CSS three? Like what version of CSS did border radius come out in? <laughs> it's like, I have absolutely no idea. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? How is that like part of your job? Why would you need to know that? It's not. Oh yeah. And what was the brothers, the name of the president of ECMA at the time that, you know, that property was introduced? What was the name of his brother's cousin <laughs> who went to that wedding? You know, what was the make and model of his car? <laughs> yes. What's his favorite street? I know. What's his favorite kind of music? You feel bad because it was a startup and they needed a developer and they were like we've heard good things about this company right like let's just oh use them and god. they have no idea like whether it's good <laughs> or whether it's bad and like oh gosh apparently i did well but it just felt so out of like what you would need to know as a developer out of touch yeah yeah but that's a common theme i've seen this where people walk into first of all there's that like basically like spam bot recruiter that's like switching out job descriptions and like is like a must know java and javascript you know like it's like you know what i mean it's just like the job descriptions are out of whack sometimes but then you have once you get there like sometimes people are just put in the wrong funnel or they're asking the wrong sets of questions that's like i'm coming in for a front-end role like I, why are you asking me about all this back-end stuff i didn't realize this was going to be part of my interview process or you know or i'm a back-end person why are you asking me all this front-end stuff like i didn't realize this was going to be part of my interview process i'm interviewing for a back-end role it's like come on like there's just laziness on the side of the companies the recruitment team and the hiring committee internally like it's just laziness all around right and these are the things that you as as an interviewee should be looking for yeah when going through it because you're trying to make a you're evaluating them the same as they're evaluating you absolutely and if they don't put in the work to you know they're giving you back-end questions when you came in to, to sling some javascript maybe they don't value the front end as much and you probably don't want to be there exactly i would call that a smell yeah. an interview smell and absolutely thank you for bringing up that point nick it's a two-way street, especially in today's market. And I'm saying this for junior engineers as well, by the way. Do not subjugate yourself to abuse just to get your first job. It might take you a little longer, but you are appreciated. You are needed. People are hiring you. You just kind of have to be a little more hungry, right? That's all. So search is going to be a little longer, especially with where things are in uh, the startup market right now. So mm -hmm. we're recording this August 11th, 2020. So 2022. Sorry. This is not a time warp. Wait a minute. <laughs> what day is this? Where am I? <laughs> What's going on? I had Fred shot on the show last week. We were talking about Astro. Great episode. Go listen to it. And we were also in a time warp. It was pretty funny. We were talking about the future and the past and the past and the future. So I don't know. It was just, yeah, it was because the Astro new Astro release as of today, just dropped two days ago, but then we had to, we were pretending like last week was tomorrow. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, sorry, date time tangent. Back to interviews. So, so Nick, it's a two-way street, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, so what have been some mind-boggling experiences for you as an 
interviewer. Uh, inter. Okay, interviewer, interviewee. I'm so confused now. Which one is which? Like, <laughs> the person who is being interviewed is a interviewee. Interviewee. And the person interviewing, okay, okay. That's what I think. Okay, that's what we're sticking with. We've calibrated. <laughs> we are on the same page. That's all that matters. Consistency, not being right. So <laughs> what are some crazy experiences that you've had as an interviewee? Because we're going to talk about being an interviewer next, <laughs> but not now. Hold those thoughts. I don't have a lot of experience, as I mentioned, interviewing. <laughs> Being the interviewee. Oh, yeah. And can we talk about that, though, Nick? Because you are a seasoned pro, dude. You've been in the game a long time. Yeah. So how have you met? Tell people, what are your secrets? What? How have you managed to? Have you just been working at one place the whole time? And you're, <laughs> Nick's like, I actually work for my dad. And we work out of his basement. <laughs> How'd you know? We listen to the Grateful Louis. You listen to the great Grateful Dead all day. It's like so cool. It's like the best office mate ever. No? Okay. <laughs> I've been in the industry about, what, 13 years, I think? Mm. Yeah, 13 years. And the longest time I worked at a single place was seven years. Mm -hmm. I kind of left for three months in between and then just came back three months, within three months. Aww. So I think I just count that as one being working there for seven straight years. Of course. But anyway, I have moved around and I've done plenty of, you know, chats with companies, but they've all been what I would have classified as kind of informal where I'm just, you know, it's much more of a team fit thing and not a deep technical interview. And the team fit thing is easier for me because I guess I like to talk about JavaScript and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, that becomes easier. But the, the one really hard tech interview that I did that I didn't do very well at was for a fang and a fang. Yeah. It was in the name. It was all in the name. We should have known. <laughs> Watch out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So how did that go? They asked me a couple of questions over the phone to like pass some baseline. And then I did like a, an interview online, like with someone watching me and ask, asking me questions. And I typed into like a shared notepad thing past that went to their headquarters and did a series of interviews all in one day. And I think that I kind of just ruined myself in the very first one where they were asking me kind of like what Amelia was saying, like some very specific CSS questions that are not really like what I need to know to write CSS. They're like right. this. And I was like, well, I'd probably just Google, <laughs> Google, uh, can I use and see, you know, things like that. Yeah. And then they were like, how would you make like all of these divs the same height across everything? And I'm like, I know it would be Flexbox, but I would need to pull up the Chris Coyer CSS tricks Flexbox guide to tell you exactly which one, because why would I need to memorize that? And uh, I don't have that when I'm at a whiteboard. So that was not fun. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the whole experience of also just being out of your element, like not using your IDE, not using your tools, not like, yeah. you know, not your hotkeys, your keyboard, like so much. My co-pilot. All of that. <laughs> I'm just saying it's rough, you know? 
the co-pilot one is actually a big question of like, yeah. if you use it day to day, can you use it in an interview? Because that's what that's how you would be coding at your job. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, honestly, I would want to judge a candidate on their ability to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. How is like for me much less interesting. Yeah. And I'm saying this as like an engineering leader, right? <laughs> like I'm just, you know, now managing engineers. I mean, I think the themes are for me, yeah, like so far as we're seeing a lot of not being asked questions relevant to your job, not working under realistic and circumstances, right? It's a superficial, artificial constraints, artificial environment. You would never actually work this way. I wonder, like, is the art of interviewing just to see how well a candidate also does under stress? (laughs) Because, like, really, it's quite a stressful experience all around. Mm -hmm. And I think, from my understanding, part of the reason why the bar is as high as it is for paying is, like, it's a self-selecting process. It's very much self-selecting. And they want people of that caliber who are going to grind, right? You know, it's so funny at Google, there's this thing that's like, for every person at Google, there's seven people, like any random seven other Googlers that they interviewed with that they wouldn't get the job. There's definitely a luck factor. A lot of Googlers have interviewed two, three times before they get a job. It's very common to not get in your first time, get in your second, you know, perhaps maybe even your third. So, you know, this idea of also just like this mythical person that just shows up and knows it all and just like zooms through interviews is kind of also just it's like a fake person. Like this person doesn't exist. Like there's (laughs) always like some permutation of any hiring committee where that person would just not get that job. You know, so yeah, yeah, it's a little wild. But also like the folks at, at those companies, just like at every company, you know, there's folks working on really hard, like groundbreaking stuff. But like you might also just go through that interview to center the same div that you do at any other place. Right. And so like, is it worth all of that stress? Right. Maybe the paychecks can be bigger <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think, you know, having experienced big tech and like not enjoyed it, I, <laughs> I can say that like. It's a grueling experience, especially in senior roles, depending on your project. It can be worse or mild, but it's never a coast, like rarely, if you're operating at the senior levels, to be clear, like for the most part. So I do see how in that case in particular, sometimes like the interview process can be reflective of the internal culture, like in in terms of competitiveness and whatever else. Because I think for me, that was the biggest shock was like the level of competitiveness. Like it's kind of crazy. And it's, and that's actually most of it. I think most of the tension comes from competitiveness and people trying to outcompete each other, especially in places where they have stacked ranking, like Amazon, Stripe, right? Or um, Microsoft used to, supposedly doesn't anymore. But I think it's still very Game of Thrones at Microsoft, like in terms of perf cycles. Same thing with Google, right? And what's tough with Google is like the, um, the nominations for promotions have to come from your peers. Imagine having to be the one to have to advocate for yourself to get a promotion, like, and while all these other people are also trying to do the same, like the kind of head games that like my friends at Google have had to go through in order to kind of like get promoted. It's ridiculous. Like I had a really close friend of mine just leave the Cambridge office like uh, this year. He had been there for six and a half years and always met exceeded expectations and never got his perf cycle. And he just left. I'm like, man, yeah, you're like 
four and a half years more patient than I would have been. <laughs> I can tell you that. But um, but yeah, so it, it is very competitive to move up. And then depending on the project and the team that you're on, like it's very Game of Thronesy. Definitely had some firsthand experience with that recently. So that just sounds awful. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. I mean, it was for me. It was a pretty not so awesome experience, but happy to be out and happy to have uh, surpassed that experience, I would say. And um, I'm making a conscious decision to never, ever subject myself to it again, either. <laughs> like, I'm like only going to work places where there's high levels of collaboration, because that's where I do best. You went through a big job search recently, right? And I think you interviewed at a bunch of places. Yeah. Were none of those competitive like this? Or were they good interviews? For me, my, my experience is like my job searches are, are very kind of targeted, like I'm being poached for a role or I very intentionally want to go to a place and it, go to that specific job. And um, this past round was very interesting for me because I was actually really focused on one particular place, which is a place that I landed. And along the way, you know, people got word of like, oh, my God, you're you're open or, you know, like before you knew it, I had like, you know, it was also interviewing at three for four other places at the same time. And I was like, how did this happen? Damn it. You know, <laughs> luckily I did take some time off. I took a couple months off to interview and uh, reset and take some time. So that was really good. But that was the only way I was able to do that because, you know, normally it's just I'm being poached and like that just doesn't happen. So it was in really interesting for me to go through that experience recently and, also to realize even just as an experienced engineer, how nervous I was before some interviews and how much self-doubt I had occasionally. And granted, like I had an offer from pretty much every single place, um, minus one place, which by the way, I should have dropped out of that interview. I was more curious about the company than I was about the job. And uh, by the time my interview got scheduled, like I already had like three offers. So I like went into my first round, like, like, oh, I should have canceled this, but I didn't get a chance to email the recruiter, like, you know, and like, I'm sure my lack of interest, like, was received on that side. And like, they were like, oh, no, sorry. I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry, because I wasted my time. I shouldn't have done that interview. But I pretty much had straight offers, like really solid offers and ended up going with the company that I was originally targeting and then was pretty unhappy there and really stressed out actually. Um, and it was like a pretty competitive place to work and uh, be. And yeah, it just didn't dive well for me. And I mean, I had a health incident as well. So I just took a little bit of time off and I am somewhere really, really happy that I'm really happy now. And it was one of the companies that I had an offer with uh, originally. So that's where I am. But I think for me, it's just having recently gone through all this, it, I have just so much empathy and disdain for the whole process, even though I, for the most part, had a pleasant experience in my interviews and I interview well, but I was still nervous and still doubted myself and still went through the whole, like, should I even be in this industry? Like, what am I even doing? You know, all of that. So... I'm curious, were there any signals that you could have picked up on on the interviews that like could have led to you being like, maybe this job isn't a good fit? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I think for me, it would have been doing a bit more research about like what the work life balance was within the company, which I think was like there's really like work life balance is kind of like an open secret like thing there, like 
just things move extremely fast and there's competition and stacked ranking and there's like work-life balance is like kind of something that is a privilege for a few people depending on their teams right so it's not it's like amazon very much like patchwork depending on the team but more skewed towards the norm being right so had i done a little bit more research and also just looked at like okay what's the percentage of people that i'm working with that have families and have kids and have lives because i think for me that's going to be an important litmus moving forward that number was about a third i think at that company which i you know i thought was really high i shared that number with a lot of pride and then i when i told that to another friend of mine like she was like what and she's not someone who's in tech that third is so low like like i was like oh okay i thought a third was great but you know like yeah to be honest with you most people in our industry like at the upper levels and in really competitive places, you know, yeah, like not everybody's getting married or having kids, right? So yeah, so that's a sign. But anyways, this is my personal experience. People literally could have had their complete opposite experience or opinions. This is my personal one. I have the right to have it. So yeah. That's interesting too, because I feel like of the different interviews I've had, a lot of them give me that feeling of like, what am I doing here? Like, do I really know anything? Right. I didn't know that question. I feel like an idiot. And then some of them like made me feel very qualified for the role. Like we would just, I would sit down and talk to my interviewers and like, we just have a conversation and it would be fun. And like, they'd actually listen to me about like things I've done in the past. And like, it was almost like a therapy session sometimes where like you come out feeling really good. That's a really good point. Well, we're going to talk about that next. We're going to talk about what it's going to take to be creating a a better experience when you're on the other side of that. So we'll get into that in our next segment. Lots to discuss. And yeah, I only two rants so far. This is great. I'm doing great, y'all. This is great. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Fly. Fly lets you deploy full stack apps and databases closer to users, and they make it too easy. No ops are required. And I'm here with Chris McCord, the creator of Phoenix Framework for Elixir and staff engineer at Fly. Chris, I know you've been working hard for many years to remove the complexity of running full stack apps in production. So now that you're at Fly solving these problems at scale, what's the challenge you're facing? One of the challenges we've had at Fly is getting people to really understand the benefits of running close to a user, because I think As developers, we internalize as a CDN, people get it. They're like, oh, yeah, you want to put your JavaScript close to a user and your CSS. But then for some reason, we have this mental block when it comes to our applications. And I don't know why that is. And getting people past that block is really important because a lot of us are privileged that we we live in North America and we deploy 50 millisecond hop away. So things feel fast. Like when GitHub, maybe they're deploying regionally now, but for the first 12 years of their existence, GitHub worked great if you lived in North America. If you lived in Europe or anywhere else in the world, you had to hop over the ocean and it was actually a pretty slow experience. So one of the things with Fly is it runs your app code close to users. So it's the same mental model of like, hey, it's really important to put our images and our CSS close to users, but like, what if your app could run there as well? API requests could be super fast. What if your data was replicated there? Database requests could be super fast. So 
I think the challenge for Fly is to get people to understand that the CDN model maps exactly to your application code. And it's even more important for your app to be running close to a user because it's not just requesting a file. It's like your data and saving data to disk, fetching data for disk. That all needs to live close to the user for the same reason that your JavaScript assets should be close to a user. Very cool. Thank you, Chris. So if you understand why you CDN, your CSS and your JavaScript, then you understand why you should do the same for your full stack app code. And Fly makes it too easy to launch most apps in about three minutes. Try it free today at fly.io. Again, fly.io. And by our friends at Hasora. Hasora lets you create dynamic, high-performance GraphQL and REST APIs from your databases in minutes with granular authorization and caching baked in. All this without touching your underlying database. Go from data to API in literally minutes. As the technology landscape evolves, a key bottleneck for teams is making data accessible, especially in enterprise environments. Modernizing applications and building new features is critically dependent on being able to shape, control, and ship your data to interfaces demanding always available real-time access. Asura solves this problem by connecting your databases, your REST servers, your GraphQL servers, and third-party APIs to provide a unified, real-time GraphQL API across all your data sources. Imagine your tech stack is a Postgres database, Go is your backend language, REST APIs, and vendors who only expose REST and React for your front end. Hasora can give you an instant GraphQL API for your front end, an API that's protected with roles, caching, and everything you expect from a secure API, and the ability to connect all your services into a single API. All this while ensuring the performance, the security, and the reliability requirements of your API layer. The most important business value Hasora provides is reducing time to market. Imagine if your team can go from data to API in literally minutes, it would be a game changer. Everything they do is through the lens of making developers productive and getting to production ready in minutes. The easiest way to get started with Hasora is with Hasora Cloud. It is fully managed and scales as you grow. Head to hasora.io slash jsparty. That's H-A-S-U-R-A dot I-O slash jsparty. Again, hasora.io slash jsparty. So there's so much to discuss and unpack here. We're going to try to switch this navigational direction of this conversation to like be more positive, hopefully anyways. So I'd love to hear about your experiences and I'll share mine as well. Being on the other side of that interview where you're the one interviewing, I'm curious, like what are some of the experiences, you know, good, bad and ugly. You can share the bad stuff too. We have to keep it a little spicy y'all come on, but (laughs) I'm curious to hear about that. And I'm also curious about what have your past or present companies done to make that experience better, right? So that you are being a more inclusive and engaged interviewer. I can go first with uh, past experience that I've had interviewing with a company, like interviewing. <laughs> I know, which side are we on again? I don't want to go into the, the details of that again. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Be, be being the interviewer. interviewer. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Grammar is so hard. There's a lot of things that they did right, I think. And it, it kind of started with just getting buy-in and accepting feedback from current employees who wanted to be involved in the interview process and wanted to help shape the company. No one's opinion was invalid or less than any others. They were all taken into consideration to kind of help that. And it was constantly evolving too, as we were kind of getting better about it. 
but it would start off with like some simple questions and it was mostly like, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your experiences. And it was kind of a written thing. And there was a few like technical things sprinkled in there, but it wasn't what was Brendan Ike's cousin's cat's name or anything like that. It was specific around. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it was Brendan's cat's sister's cousin's husband's brother's. You didn't have to know any of that, which was good. Friend. (laughs) Like that gave us an idea. But from there, like you were pretty much guaranteed to go into a straight kind of take home question. And we did kind of try and set a time limit on it, which, you know, we were Mm -hmm. always flexible about, but it was kind of a three hour thing. And that was mostly for us to not make anything that wasn't super solvable in three hours. Like three hours was very generous. Three hours. So it was like, it was literally like to find one function that did one thing. So pretty straightforward. And, you know, we'd have you do that. And then assuming you passed that and we were looking at things like just general code quality, if it ran, that was a good thing. But if it didn't, like how far did you get? You wouldn't necessarily be disqualified from that. Then you would go on to a half hour and it was capped at a half hour of another kind of technical question where we were, we were using like JS fiddle back then because you could do like collaboration and do that in there. But it was just a half hour, you know, here's a a problem. Let's solve it. And while you're solving it, like specifically verbalize your thought process. So tell me what you're thinking. Tell me all of that. But also like you want to use Google, you're going to use Google. Like when you're doing your job, we totally get it. Just not even a problem. Just let us know like what you're Googling, what you're thinking, like the thought process as you're going. So we kind of get that mindset. And then from there, it was just a, another half hour with different team members. And they were just asking you more kind of team fit culture questions. I'm trying to remember any specific ones, but they're kind of like, you know, describe things that you did well, problems that you had that you overcame, like more like that, how you work well with a team. Sometimes it would get like into details on like, you know, if they, if we really saw you were like proficient with Git or something, we'd be asking you questions and kind of taking notes on that and stuff. But that was really it. And I, I felt that it gave us a good, a good idea of what a person was like without like making them spend hours and hours specifically on a call with us. They might've spent a lot of time preparing and such, but like we, we really tried to respect their time and boil it down to as little as we felt we needed to make an evaluation also kind of knowing that when they hire on, it's kind of a probationary period almost in the beginning to kind of get a feel for them as well. We're very open about that as well. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, as you should be right. And Mm -hmm. that's your prerogative as a company to maintain your risk. And, you know, you want to be able to say, okay, well, look, I'm willing to take a chance on how I interview you or the rigor that I will put you through before you have the job with the caveat that, hey, like, you're somewhat under some trial and it's two way street, right? It can be two way streets. It doesn't have to be one way. So, yeah, it seems really fair and It's like a really nice, humane process that's like really inclusive. I think that's the other big thing is, you know, is the process inclusive to people with lots of different constraints, right? Yeah. And so like, how do you gauge their deep work from all this other stuff? And the thing is, it's an, this is an evaluation. That's the other keyword that you used. Like it's an evaluation. It's not, it's not a condemnation for your skills and capabilities as a person. It's not a judgment on who you are as a human being and your talent and your potential. It is just an evaluation on for how you did the specific 
set of hurdles, right? <laughs> Timed and artificial hurdles, right? Like, so, yeah. yeah. We're very open about the artificiality of it. <laughs> That's cool. That's super cool. How about you, uh, Amelia? Like, what have been some experiences on your end being the interviewer? <laughs> okay, this is an interviewer. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like, I've had a several different experiences at different companies, and I think one theme is, like, the less process there is, the better. Like at bigger companies, you know, they have specific interviews they want you to go through. And sometimes it can feel very awkward. Like I've had some with a, like a script, you know, you have to ask these 10 questions and then you grade them for each question. And then it's nice because then you can compare this person to that person, right? Like this person got a seven, this person got an eight, this person wins. But like, I don't know, it kind of takes like, the humanity out of it and like you don't really get a good sense if you're like forcing yourself to ask specific questions i think the best mm. interviews i've had are when you're just sitting kind of like what nick was talking about you're just sitting talking about like what's your thought process and then i'm like a really big fan of take homes that aren't too long because people also don't like them because if someone has kids they might not be as able to spend a few hours doing something for some job they don't even work at right but you get to see the end process, right? You're not sitting there watching them code, which like doesn't happen at work. So why would you test for it? Totally. So it's really nice to be able to go to like first principles and be like, who do we actually want to hire? Like someone who's good at communication and someone who does good work. That's it. That's it. Right. Yeah. I, seriously. It's also just a job. I mean, I think, you know, that's the other thing, like what's concerning to me. And, and by the way, I just wanted to I think that word that you might've been looking for is conversational, right? So the conversational interviews, but anyways, back to the other point. So with Fang, these Fang interviews and all the, it's the whole cottage industry that has sprung up around interview prep. We didn't even get into that, but like, there's all these courses, there's coaches, like give me $5,000 and I'll guarantee you life-changing Fang money, you know? Like there's just so much. It's like um, totally um, reminds me of the gold rush, you know, and the people who managed to sell the shovels, right? To the people they're rushing for the golds. That's really what it feels like. But anyways, so they've kind of made this a religion. You know, you have people in college, you have people in high school just fantasizing, doing this like, you think it's like becoming like a pro athlete or something, like getting this job at this like thing companies. So what happens is they fetishize these jobs and it becomes like their life. And quite frankly, my job is not my life. It shouldn't be yours either, but everyone has the choice to make that commitment for yourself, right? Just don't force it on us as a standard and don't force it on us as an industry. And for me, like simpler interviews are reflective of that commitment. It's like, hey, dude, hey, dudette, like, hey, you, right? Like, we're not, we understand like this job is just a job. This is a transactional thing. And like, here's adequate set of tasks for us to evaluate our willingness to transact with you. <laughs> like, you know, like that's it. That is all an interview should kind of be, but you know, here we are today, right? <laughs> My personal experiences have really been generally good as an interviewer. And I've worked at places where, you know, I think they put together a good set of practices around that, which is nice. So I think for me, you know, getting a chance to even evaluate somebody's pull request has been something that I've had the chance of doing, right? Like a pull request review, right? So we send over a pull request to them and say, okay, could you review this? 
and find, you know, you get to see their tone, all the things that they catch, you, you see their expertise, you see real life scenario. What's wrong with this pull request? Like we even put things like it's missing the right header. It's missing information in the description, like <laughs> even things like that, even the kind of hygiene stuff you get to see. And, you know, and it's one of those things where like, yeah, just, they maybe they score 80 percent, they score 70 percent, but you get to see the depth of somebody's interdisciplinary set of skills, which is, you know, what's needed as a software engineer. It's never just one lane, right? We're always picking for multiple lanes. I'm so glad you brought up pull requests because I was going to suggest that as like an improvement that I would do mm -hmm. today if I were doing it more. And I think that that is so telling, seeing how someone reacts to it, especially if you create the pull request and you just put in some stuff that is just hot garbage, low hanging fruit that they could just berate and go off on. How do they, they handle that? Not that they would like do that purposefully in an interview, but have a little bit of that. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Is this a pull request they've done in the past or a pull request they've reviewed for the interview? Review this pull request for the interview. It's a fake pull request. It's like a dummy set of constraints and everything. It's just like something that adding a new component to a thing and like, you know, yeah. what are all the things that are wrong with this pull request? I kind of like the idea of reviewing old pull requests because then it's not like, like you can perform for an interview, but like this is what it's actually like to work with them. It was a real pull request, but an old one that had lots of mistakes from a contractor, I think. that So they like literally like used that exact pull request and were like, here, <laughs> this is from our actual code base seven months ago. So I think that's cool. I think other kind of general positive experiences have been interview committees, you know, having an objective group of people from even different parts of the company come together and interview. I think it's cool to do that because then somebody's interviewing for a role, not a job, and you're interviewing for the role of software engineer. And oh, here's the wide pool of different people who can give you this interview. And it doesn't matter which combination of those people, you know, like you're hired generically to be a software engineer at this company. And then, you know, getting to pick your team after that is a pretty cool thing. Having teams compete for you, it's been nice. But overall, the process is still way too difficult. And we can talk about that for hours and hours and hours. I'm curious to kind of shift this conversation more towards what we were talking about earlier so that we can end this on a positive note. But like, what are some other things that we could think of briefly, everyone, to kind of improve the status quo? For today because I think some of the stuff that came up earlier was we're going to abolish maybe we allow people to bypass the interviewing tech interviews in exchange for like more of a formal probationary period maybe that could be an opt-in thing if you want to do the interview go ahead maybe that's but even then like I don't know and nothing is ever really guaranteed so I feel like people kind of freak out about probationary periods way more than they should <laughs> Like it's like we're all employment at will last time I checked and yeah. that goes both ways, you know? <laughs> so it's like, uh, I don't get it, but you know, whatever. What are some things? I think that just being very empathetic with the interviewee, understanding when they're going through this process, they are going to be frazzled. They're going to be stressed. They're going to make mistakes. And, you know, depending on, where they're at in their life, they might have things like we've mentioned, like kids or family or other obligations. And you just have to be aware that this is something that they're doing outside of their day job. So it in no way reflects on how they might be as an employee, like if they have to reschedule last minute or things like that, like just being very aware that this is something that they have to do almost in secret, right? Until they, yep. <laughs> they can officially put in their, their notice. Absolutely. And then you just have to be willing to work with them 
at that. And also just being, you know, very cognizant of how much stress they're in while in this process. So, you know, if they're stalling for time, like I am in this answer, or they're, they're doing other things, like it's because they're stressed and you can like, you know, do whatever you can to take a moment and let the stress out of the room a little bit and just let them regain composure and, and focus on the things that matter and maybe changing your approach to things like what year this version of CSS was implemented doesn't matter. Like, why don't we just get into centering that div that we're going to have you do Yeah, and things like that. Yeah. More stuff, less fluff, right? Yeah. <laughs> less hard, painful fluff too. It's not even like nice, warm, fuzzy fluff. It's like, what the hell? You want me to do what? <laughs> it's like red, black trees, what? On a whiteboard, what? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Amelia, how about you? I think that's, I can't think of like one, like here's one simple trick to make your interviews better. What should we stop? What should we start? Like, I think there's just a theme of like, you can't scale an interview process and have it still be good, right? Like you can't have mm. some way to weed out the bad people and then like that you can do with like hundreds of people, right? Like I also think like having the team that's going to work with them, interview them and not just have people who do all their interviews for the company. Like yes. these things just don't scale, right? Like you just mm. have to give people the time to be themselves, get to know them, get to know how they think about problems and solve them and then like mm. figure out if it's going to be a good fit for your team. And like, that's just something that's really hard to do with hundreds of people. So maybe have like an initial weeding out process and then just like take people at face value and take it slowly. Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. And also, I'm sorry, like last time I checked, like unless you're like programming for like hospitals or pacemaker machines or I don't know, freaking NASA rockets, your like carousel image of like people's homes on the Airbnb website or your like input box on the Google search screen, like is like not rocket science or life changing. And we all just need to chill the hell out and just like... Really, like, we're just humans. We're all on the same planet, you know? It's not so bad if more of us worked with each other. Like, so just limit gatekeeping is my thing, you know? Just, we do a lot of gatekeeping mm -hmm. in our industry, and, and interviews just basically feel like a huge form of gatekeeping that's still widely accepted. My hope and dream is, like, in... I hope in five years we look back at this time in our in our history and, and we say, yeah, man, how was, like... You know, had such uninclusive, cumbersome, unnecessary, bureaucratic gatekeeping experiences that were part of our career and job searching. And, you know, we're done with that. We're done with that as an industry. We're done. We've moved on. This is how we're doing it now. This artificial crisis that we've created for ourselves with like hiring gaps, like, well, you know, we're not making it easy when, you know, our, our hiring practices are so cumbersome, right? So you really want to hire more people? Well, like, make it easier for them to join, right? I feel like I've got to end it at that or else I'm going to, like, get into, like, 17 other rants. But I think maybe the last point is actually just be explicit with people around what your expectations are throughout the whole process. As an interviewee, there's nothing I hated more than not being prepared or not knowing what to expect. So as much as you can share with people on what to expect, like 
the happier campers they will be. So if you can have guides, whatever, like publish a website, share information with them, let them Google and look up their interviewers, you know, good practice to like, let them know who they're meeting with, ask for their pronouns, make sure that you can pronounce their names or, you know, there's, I've seen even in, in greenhouse now, like there's like a whole thing where you can record your, how to pronounce your name, just do things to make them feel like people because they are people, right? Not cattle. So with that said, I just want to thank you, Nick and Amelia. It's been a really pleasure having you both on the, on the show today. And it's been really insightful digging into this huge, huge topic with you all. So thank you for making it so pleasant and easy. Likewise. All right, everyone. So we'll catch you all next week. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye. All right. That is Jay's party for this week. Thanks for listening. Now is the time to subscribe. If you haven't yet, head to jsparty.fm for all the ways. If you've already subscribed and you've been listening for a while, maybe join our membership program. You can directly support our work, save yourself some time by ditching the ads, and get bonuses like exclusive content and free stickers. Check it out at changelog.com slash plus plus. Thanks again to our partners at Fastly for CDNing for us to fly.io for hosting our app servers and database, to the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder for these dope beats, and to you for being part of the JS Party community. We appreciate you. That is all for now. We'll party with you again next week. Next week.